Welcome to the Funding Love Podcast. I'm Mallory. And I'm Caitlin. We are two adoptive moms that seek to love, support, and elevate all corners of the adoption triad through honest conversation and interviews while running our nonprofit, Funding Love. Funding Love creates post-adoption experiences that strengthen bonds, build community, and restore people. We are Funding Love. Let's go. Hi, and welcome back to the Funding Love Podcast. I am Caitlin, one of your co-hosts. It is episode 45, and I am here with my co-host, Mal. Hey, Mal. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, how are you? Happy February. I am good. Happy February. And we you know, are in month two of 2023. Month two of 2023. And February, it is a special month that we didn't really want to let go by without acknowledging that it is Black History Month. And that is a time to honor the contributions and legacy of African Americans across U.S. history and society. And we also want to talk about that adoption has a place in black history, which is really cool. You did a lot of research. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, just, you know, acknowledging that adoption also has a place in black history for a good part of the 20th century, um, African American birth parents and children were simply denied adoption services by agencies because of their religion or their race or both. It's crazy um, to think about now. It, it yeah. is, especially in like the 1960s when integration was happening, right. still discriminated against and with reluctance to like establish racially exclusive organizations, you know, like a white adoption agency and a black adoption right. agency because back then integration was synonymous with equality, so they wanted them to be integrated. But then that meant that oftentimes African-Americans were just denied that service. And so they relied instead on traditions of informal adoptions to take care of their own, I guess, with like family members or, you know, things like that. Um, I'm I'm not even sure because, you know, we're no experts, but we can acknowledge that there were definitely racial discriminations even during that time when integration Mm -hmm. was happening. Right. And I was also reading that it was back then, like, you would not have transracial families. So they did not, adoption agencies did not believe that a black baby should be placed in a white home or that a white baby should be placed in a black home, even if parents were willing. And so we do know that things have changed. Yeah. Uh, Transracial adoptions have become a thing. They, I think, slowly started to become more common in the 1970s, 1980s. And nowadays, I would definitely say they're more common yeah, uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I really, I do think we see it more um, than obviously back in the 60s, right? It's, Correct. It's, it's something that um, is more evident now. But, you know, on the podcast, we always say that we don't want to shy, we want to be afraid of or shy away from hard conversations. And we acknowledge that racism has and still does exist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, prospective adoptive families who may be, like, for example, they may be opening, open up, like, be open to adopting a child of any race, culture, or heritage, right? But because maybe even, let's say, the way that their families feel mm-hmm. or the biases that their immediate families might have towards certain races, they choose not to do that. Mm-hmm. And so even though they could and are open to it due to... I hate to discern, but the people the, surrounding them in their community. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That the way that they may feel about a certain rage, which is so sad to say, um, mm-hmm. prevents them from mm-hmm. taking that leap and doing that. And honestly, we also see it on the flip side. I know yes, we've we talked with other guests about this, but there's also this thing called like the savior syndrome. Oh, right. And savior like complex. the yeah. savior complex. Yes. And so not only does that happen within adoption of like 
any adoption, right? It can be common in any adoption of like, oh, I'm doing this great thing by adopting this baby or this child. Um, but then the race also brings another layer into it. Sometimes people are like, oh yeah, I just always wanted to adopt a little brown baby or a little black right. baby as if like that was them saving someone. Like it's, it's mind blowing, but that does still exist. Like it, like for whatever reason, it's like they're, yeah, it like puts them uh-huh. on some sort of higher platform like Correct. I'm a white person saving a black child or they want to like make their life. they want to make their adoption obvious. Like mm. it's obvious we are adoptive family and we've done this great thing of adoption because we don't even look alike, you know, or I mean, I know I have personally seen that right within the adoption right. community. Right. And um, I think it's something that needs to be talked about, even though it's hard and it's messy. Yeah, it, it is. It's definitely not something that's comfortable to talk about. No, it's like not. It, this isn't the most comfortable conversation to have right now, but it is something that like we see. So a lot mm-hmm. of the things that we're talking about today are truly just things that we've noticed or we've observed from being mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. life and being adoptive moms yeah. kind of in the circle now, you know? Correct. So in the past, we have had great conversations with about transracial adoptions with people that are far more yes. experienced <laughs> than we are because they've experienced it firsthand. Me and Caitlin are definitely not claiming to be experts. We're Mm-mm. two white adoptive moms. But we would love to share some clips from those episodes from yeah. the past because we feel like they did an excellent job communicating on the subject. And I think it's so important that if we're going to learn about transracial adoption, mm-hmm. we should listen to a transracial adoptee. Or if we're going to learn about transcultural adoptions, we should mm-hmm. learn it from someone that is experiencing that firsthand. Yeah. So so definitely, we, we had Brittany Salmon back on last year. She was, um, I believe, episode 15. And she wrote a book called It Takes More Than Love. And the idea of that book is... If you are going to adopt transracially or cross-culturally, let's say, it a love isn't enough for that child to right. live successfully, healthy, and to feel fully themselves. And let's to step that. into adulthood equipped to deal what the world views of them. Right. So you have to be aware of the color difference that your child might have, that they mm. might be a different color, mm-hmm. that they might, that they're heritage that like their family and their biological family is from is so different than yours you can't Mm -hmm. ignore it you Mm -hmm. can't say well i just love my child and they live in a loving home so that's all right it takes more than that it takes intentionality so this clip is really cool it talks about blind spots yeah that's right and like how for any like racial discrimination not just black but asian or you know any kind of discriminations that you could hold there's all these stigmas surrounding Mm -hmm. it like a lot of us just want to jump to being like i'm not a racist Yeah. You know? And so, but at the same time, we all have blind spots, things that we do, things that we, that we say, or even like little triggers inside of ourselves. Like we're in a, in a place where we find ourselves as a minority. How does Mm -hmm. that make us feel? Like finding those little blind spots within ourselves and recognizing. And maybe even stereotypes that we grew up knowing Mm. that we were taught. So like, as we've grown up, you don't realize that maybe you do have a tendency or a stereotype Mm -hmm. that you've created towards a certain culture right. that you and your heart would be like oh no I don't believe that but but it's there like it's, it's there it's like you yeah there's it, still it's, something inside it's a blind of you. spot yeah it's a blind spot so we yeah. asked Brittany mm-hmm. um pretty straightforward we said how would you suggest that we go about finding these blind spots within ourselves and I think she had a great answer she had a great answer let's listen to it Yeah, I think one of the biggest things you can do is listen to adult adoptees 
but if you're for adoptive parents, listen to birth mothers and birth fathers. Um, and I would say, listen to the ones that make you uncomfortable. Um, you know, there are, there are, I listen to, a, I, I listen and read and, um, and have a wide variety of adult adoptee voices that I listen to. Some of them I agree with wholeheartedly. I'm like, well, you and I, we see eye to eye. And then there's some that I go, huh, I never thought of that before. That doesn't feel so good. Wait, that's not me. That's not me. That's That can't be our family. Nope, this doesn't apply to me. And whenever I feel that hesitancy or that defensiveness kind of, you know, creeping in, that doesn't necessarily mean that, yes, that's 100% me. But it does allow me to evaluate and go, okay, what's there? What it, what it, what is deep in my heart that's going, no, 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 that doesn't work for me. Um, I wrestle with it. I sit with it for a while. I don't immediately silence that voice and say, I'm not following her anymore or him anymore. I kind of press in and go, well, I wonder what, what is that? And so I think surrounding yourself with voices who aren't just going to affirm your current ideas, but also might push you in some other ways is such a healthy practice. Um, I also think doing consistently going to training and so doing race conscious parenting training by adult adoptees, that's out there. It's on the internet. You can, you can research it and go to it. A lot of agencies can also connect you to those. Um, but there's, we have so many resources at our fingertips because of the internet. And I would say just constantly learn and constantly learn from voices who they might kind of make you a little uncomfortable and you're going, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to push in here. So I loved her answer. Oh, that, that was, I mean, perfect. Yeah. That do with some tools that you can really, that are, that are practical mm-hmm. and that you can kind of put into practice. And that whole episode was just really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so if y'all want to go back and listen to that, you can go back to episode 15 um, and it's a great conversation to listen to, even if you listen to it once before. Yeah. Do it again. It's mm-hmm. good for everybody. Absolutely. So this next clip we're going to share is, um, from a, a guest we had on. His name is Jonathan Adam. He, we had an amazing conversation with him. He is a transracial adoptee. He is a biracial man that was raised in a white home. Uh, we loved our conversation with him because he talked about experiencing racist comments as a child. And so the story he tells us is kind of baffling. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like it really, I remember when he told us for the first time, I was like, oh, what? Yeah. And so he, he talks about though how his mom was able to use that story as a teachable moment. How he he remembers, he looks back on that fondly because she took that, let's call it bad experience, mm-hmm. but was intentional about using it for good to teach her son yeah, to, later to in life. That, that is not an acceptable right. way. Yeah. So it was, it's a really cool, really cool conversation. And he had some really good wisdom to share about that. So let's take a listen. You know, there's a lot of adoptive parents and families that listen to this podcast. And so from your perspective as the adoptee, how can we help like our children make sense of their story and the thoughts and feelings they have towards their adoption. You know, my daughter's only two and a half, so, you know, we're still in the early stages of, you know, the word adoption exists, but it's not the deep stuff, right? So how can we, you know, as we move forward and help our children understand these feelings? Yeah, well, and, and that's an excellent question. And let me tell you, it takes time to learn language and to learn words and meaning, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even though your your child's only two, I mean, there are so many things about adoption that just now, you know, we're putting language around, even nuances of adoption, right? And then mm-hmm. tra- the transracial ad- uh, element. 
also the cross-cultural element and just nuances that go along with that. And so I think it's indicative of parents who have the, the mental faculty to be able to reflect and process information and pass it down to their kids to really get a good grasp of vocabulary so they can pass that on. So when your children do experience things that are indicative of adoption, that they have the words to know how to process some of those things that they're going to encounter. Um, you know, whether it's just issues of adoption in general or, or that transracial element. I think that's the most powerful thing. And the other thing is, is really, even in hindsight, uh, just making light of, of circumstances and experiences that your children have. So I'll give you a good example. And uh, I was uh, four years old and we had moved to Alpharetta, Georgia. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a, you know, four-year-old kid, not thinking much. I had to go to the bathroom and you know, I didn't think too much about that, you know, yeah. at that age, but I just went on the neighbor's flowers, you know, and <laughs> the neighbor came out and she was, she was hot. She was angry. And, and, you know, he put her finger in my face and looked at my mom and said, get that N word out of my yard. Oh. And, and obviously as a four-year-old, I had no idea what that word meant. I just knew mm -hmm. I did something wrong. Right. But what a great opportunity later in life when I could process and make sense of that to revisit as parents, to revisit that kind of conversation and help me understand mm -hmm. what that means, why it's wrong, why mm -hmm. she was out of line, to make sense of that. That also is a great episode. Oh gosh, I so good. I loved getting to talk to Jonathan. He was really a joy to mm -hmm. sit and have a conversation mm -hmm. with. Um, but he had, he had a perspective... Um, as being a biracial man, but also as an adoptee. So he came, he came from it kind of experiencing just let's talk as an adoptee's perspective, but also as a biracial man. Mm -hmm. So that was a really cool perspective. Yeah, it have. was, it was a really great episode. And so, I don't know, it just takes me back to, you know, these conversations of how in the 1960s, mm -hmm. like it was so unacceptable because, you know, a, a black baby should be raised in a black home and a white baby should be raised in a white home. And right. I don't think that anybody, if you were to ask them point blank, would disagree with that, right? Mm -hmm. But then we don't live in a perfect world. Because nope. even Jonathan, we'd love for you to go back and listen to the whole episode. He talks about there was different scenarios with like his hair or in the way he like ate food. And like he just wished that he would have been better connected with his culture. And he doesn't like hold that against his parents no, yeah. or anything, but he's like, as an adult had to learn things about his, his culture and ethnicity um, that he wished he would have grown up with. And so it's like doing that work as an adoptive parent, like Brittany says, if it takes mm -hmm. more than love, if you're not willing to do that work, should a transracial adoption even exist? And so I know that's like a really like blunt and yeah. hard question but I love that in both of those episodes we really like we just asked him we did we asked Jonathan and Brittany bluntly do you think that transracial adoptions should exist based on the experiences that they've had and so we're going to listen to both of their answers we're going to do them back to back we're going to let you guys listen but um it was really cool to hear their answers and they both are just so wise so let's let's take a listen There are a lot of people who may be in the beginning stages of the adoption process, you know, prospective mm -hmm. adopt adoptive families, um, somebody who's just, you know, really tossing the idea around. What would you say to families um, to be mindful of as they consider transracial adoption? Because, yeah. you know, I, I do think it's now that we have more knowledge, 
right? I think we should do better. And is it something that everybody should do just because they want to adopt? Yes. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you my rationale why. And this is just as one adoptee, this is why I believe this. If you choose to go the transracial route, you've got to remember that, that you become, in a sense, you become an integrated family. Integrated Mm -hmm. in that, that child doesn't, doesn't bring with them in themselves, right? They're not bringing with them a culture, right? Because they're, they're a child, but they're, they're bringing with them a heritage. And, um, and that is, that is something that, um, that I think as parents, you're not only investing in just, um, just the child at face value, but you're also investing in where they come from. And if you don't, it will come at your child's expense. And I say that because then it's the onus is on your child to be able to bring that to you. And just think about it. Children, you know, I have a middle schooler and we're always sucking, you know, use your words, right? I mean, (laughs) for myself, right? Use your words. If you're mad, don't stomp around. Don't, right? Mm -hmm. So like, so kids don't have the mental faculties to be able to lead us in what it means for them to be a different ethnicity, right? So parents, if they're not invested in that on the front end, and they're not willing to sacrifice who they think they are, right? Mm-hmm. As maybe a Caucasian or Indian or whatever your background is. Sure. Once you adopt transracially, you are now a multi-ethnic family. Mm-hmm. And if you can't accept that, then it's going to come at your child's expense. Should white parents adopt black children? Or put it out there, should anybody of a you know certain ethnicity adopt a child of a different ethnicity so i love rebecca carroll she is um she wrote a a memoir she's an adult adoptee and she went on the trevor noah show and i think it was 2020 don't quote me on that it might have been 2021 but it's been the last few years and he actually asked her that question because she is a biracial woman woman um who was raised by white parents and she essentially said um you know if an adoptive family is willing to acknowledge the child's ethnicity and celebrate that and connect them to their community, then by all means. But if a family is gonna just be colorblind and ignore a child's racial identity, we should have some reservations about that. So, gosh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and I, I mean, I'm just gonna say like, I, I agree with them. Like, yes. like I really do. Somebody who is, I want to say probably on the outside looking into some into this, but also now having conversation with them and understanding a little bit more, I, I agree. Now, you and mm-hmm. I have talked about this before in the idea of just adoption. In a perfect world, adoption wouldn't exist. Correct. Right? And so same thing with transracial adoption. That wouldn't exist. In a perfect world, in a perfect it wouldn't perfect exist. World. In a perfect world, a child would never have to sit at a mm-hmm. dinner table. Mm-hmm. And feel like the only one that's different in their family. Correct. But let's let's also talk about though. Okay, so should should it exist? Well, it does. Okay, it does because of the broken world we live in. But it can still be beautiful. Absolutely. Like so, I don't want this to be like, oh, just because you bring a, a child of a different culture, it's going to be so hard and it's all going to be terrible. It's all going to be. No. It, it is still. It can still be a very beautiful and, and healthy thing. I think what we just want to say is that 
There's got to be intentionality. Intentionality. Yeah, and and you may not even get it perfect all the time because none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. But but being intentional, not having blind spots, and recognizing the differences your child has, and celebrating those differences, mm-hmm. and in, and bringing and, that into your family because, like mm-hmm. Jonathan said, when you bring that child of a different culture or race into your family, you are integrated immediately. So mm-hmm. you need to act like it, right? And you need to be willing to do that. Yes. And so if you, as an adoptive parent, if there's a prospective adoptive parent listening and you're really wrestling with this, I think you do need to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. You need to do the hard work of identifying any racial biases that you hold that you don't want to admit. Like you need to humbly admit the ones that you hold. And, um, and you know, if you're not willing to change or you're not willing to move to a more diverse area, if you're mm-hmm. not willing to find friends and mentors in your life that will be of the same ethnicity, race, and culture as your child. You're not willing child, to learn how to do black girl hair. Yeah, like, you or, know what I or mean? cook ethnic foods right. um, and serve those in your home or at least find a restaurant nearby mm-hmm. that you visit regularly, um, then maybe you should not adopt transracially. And I think that could sound harsh, but I think for that child's best interest, oh, yeah. it might be of the best interest. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, to- totally. Yeah. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. yeah. No. So, but at the same time, like you said, it can be a truly beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I think as an adoptive parent, it can grow you in ways that you never dreamed possible and that never would have been possible without that child in your life. Yeah. And I think that it just makes us, it can unite us together. Mm-hmm. It can unite even families, you know, mm-hmm. especially through like open adoptions oh, yeah. and just grow your family in beautiful, diverse loving ways so I do think it can be done well I do think it can be done beautifully I think we see that a lot too like like I know we're talking about like intentionality and blind spots and all of that but I but I have seen it done very beautifully I have seen blended families and integrated families that are like you know families of a whole bunch of different cultures that are brought together through adoption it's beautiful yes it's beautiful that I see them recognizing those other cultures so it definitely exists we're just talking about the opposite side too. You and know doing what I mean? the hard work. Yeah, doing the hard work. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so hey, you know the fun part is is that we are together <laughs> recording this episode. We are. Which we always we don't get to do that very often. We don't. You like we said a few episodes ago. You're from South Florida, and yeah. I'm from Georgia. So here we are. But we are in our favorite place together. We are in Disney. Yes, we are. We are here together recording this podcast from Coronado Springs on Walt Disney World. Oh my gosh. And so it is time for our Disney question of the day. Yeah, we wrap up every episode with mm-hmm. a Disney question. So we're here in Disney and we're sitting in our hotel room and we're about to go out for the evening. Mm-hmm. Where would you go? I would love to go to Epcot. I think that's where we should go. I think we should but go. But I do think that as an adult. Okay, tell me. And we're here on a girl's like, We're here on a girl's trip. Girls. No kiddos. Yeah. No kiddos. Like Epcot is the perfect park mm-hmm. to take. Uh, an evening stroll around yes, we, World Showcase. Yes, we were talking about this, I think, all day that we were like, oh my gosh, Epcot, because we don't have to, like, we can actually take our time in each country. Mm-hmm. We can take our time at each booth. There's no, like, where's the kid? Where are you? Where are right. you? Where are you? Hello? Right. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> right. Who needs to go potty now? Yeah. Exactly. yeah and so right now, um, it, in February, they have the Festival of the Arts. Mm, Epcot my favorite always one. has rotating my festivals. One. So this one, there's lots of booths that have local art vendors, mm-hmm. so you can buy art. So I would love to go look Even at Even creative art, like food displays food. that are like super mm-hmm. artistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Plated yeah, so, well. Yes. So I'd say my answer is that too. Let's go to Epcot, shall Let's we? Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so this was so much fun, Mal. And even though this conversation that we had today was a bit sticky, let's say, one mm-hmm. of those things we don't love to talk about, I would 
but it's necessary. Right, but necessary. It is. It was a good conversation. So I hope I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And uh, we just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Funding Love Podcast. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Funding Love Podcast. Funding Love is a crowdfunded nonprofit, which means that people like you can help make a lasting impact on the adoption community through your generous support. And there are so many ways to do that. You can sign up to give monthly or just a one-time gift at fundinglove.com backslash donate. Or you could visit fundinglove.com backslash shop to visit our online store. There you will find clothing, mugs, hats, stickers, water bottles, you name it. And 100% of the proceeds from each purchase will go towards our mission of supporting the adoption community. However you choose to partner with us, you can feel confident that you are funding love.